Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and back at it once again with another new episode for you. Continuing our journey through the Gospel of Matthew into the 17th chapter. Today we're going to look at a boy who has a demon, and Jesus heals him. And that will be verses 14 through 21. More than likely, we will just focus on that, because I have a little bit of a rant at the beginning of the show today. So, if we happen to cover all that, we might look at 22 and 23. This is a foretelling of the death and resurrection again from Jesus, very quick and uh, straight to the point text. So uh, we'll either cover it this week or and or next week. So and that'll wrap up chapter 17. But I really want to talk more on a couple things that just really have been bugging me about the world in itself lately. And this is the moral decline of society the decay of morality. And I'm not going to throw out statistics or or really anything. This is more just me ranting. um, And I don't know how long I'm going to rant for, but you know, we had a a local elections across the country this week. Um, Tuesday was the voting day and election results came in today. I was running for school board in our small town and I lost, which is totally fine with me because I got so much stuff going on. So I'm not ultimately concerned about that, but there are things that I've witnessed in this election that absolutely bring me to my knees and uh, are gut-wrenching. For one, Ohio had on their ballot to legalize abortion and make it constitutional, and this passed overwhelmingly by, it was like 55 or 58% of the vote was for this, and that is a concerning factor. This is a an attempt by the Democratic Party to start to wedge in these states the constitutional right to slaughter your unborn child. And, and I say slaughter because I think it's the most gruesome thing a person can do to another person and kill them in the womb. They are dismembered, they are destroyed, and it is a sickening procedure. 
And it just breaks my heart to know that this country is pushing this agenda once again. And it, it has been a hot topic since Roe v. Wade in the Supreme Court recently was found to be unconstitutional. And it has become this hot topic in this electional push by the Democratic Party and the left to drive you know, this narrative home that women should have a right to choose what they do with, quote unquote, their own body. When in reality, the baby has their own DNH uh, strands, their, their own, per, you know, they are their own person. But we can't admit to that as a society because then it changes the narrative that the Democrats push. Now, look, I'm not making this a, you know, a conservative versus liberal or left versus right, Democrat versus Republican. Both parties have major issues. And both parties are full of liars and cheats, and both parties have, you know, an agenda to push. And I personally believe that the Democratic Party pushes this and has the silent support of the Republican Party, because guess what? It's all about money. That's where this all channels back to is how much money can we make through elections and through cheating the American people. And we we have seen record rates of candidates bringing in you know just insane amounts of money through their campaigns and then after they lose nothing happens they keep that money the money goes into that that particular party's bucket and you know whatever happens to it happens to it but my bigger view is the fact that we as a society are pushing such a narrative that we are just literally shaking our fist and taunting God to rain down destruction upon us. I mean, we are literally dancing in the streets with these gay pride parades and the you know the rainbow flags, and we are we are taunting God to do what He did to Sodom and Gomorrah. We are celebrating the the drag queens. We are celebrating that the fact that we are peddling this garbage to our children pushing it into our schools, electing officials on school boards that would be driving this narrative into the into the system and into our children's face. I it drives me up the wall. And 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 I know hopefully that if you listen to this, you'll be in agreement with me and if you're not, I frankly don't care. Honestly, I don't because I look at the world through a biblical lens. I don't give a I don't give a hoot whether you're Republican or conservative and you're liberal or left. I don't care about any of that. I I look at the world through a biblical lens and I see the world, not just America, but the world taunting God. And I feel like we're we're at that point in history and we've been here for a while now where the scoffers and the naysayers and the taunters are are looking at Christians and saying, "Well, where's your God at?" You said he was going to come and he hasn't shown up yet. So obviously he's not real. And we are right at that cusp. We are right at this borderline where we are seeing this behavior continuously happen over and over again. And, you know, Paul writes that this is going to happen at the end of times. And we, I think, are right at that cusp. We're right on the end of it. Now, how much longer will that entail? Don't know. Could it be six weeks, six months, six years, 60 years, 100 years, 300 years? Nobody knows. I don't know. I'm just, I just say by based upon how my eschatological view lines up with scripture in the condition of the world today, that we are just inching closer and closer to the day Jesus returns. 
And, you know, I just had a conversation with my wife a few minutes ago about the decay of uh, morality in society. And what it really gets to me more so than anything is the overwhelming support for these, these anti-Christian views. And it, and it, and there's, there's a number of them. And we, we celebrate the trans movement. We celebrate, you know, uh, the obesity movement, we celebrate all of these things that really go against what the Bible prescribes as living a quiet and sober life. We celebrate sin while hating morality. We celebrate Satan in his agenda while hating and discarding and and being f- and picking fights and going to war against Christianity. Now it's interesting. If you look at any time the taunters come, it's always against Jesus and the Bible and Christians. It's never against Muhammad and the Muslims. It's never against Buddha and the Buddhists. It's never against any of the Hindu gods and the Hindus. It's never against any of these other worldly religions. It is always against Christianity. Christianity has always had the world against itself. Why? Because it is the only true religion. It is the only true religion to stand against time and to weather the storms of the world. And we are weathering probably one of the biggest and longest storms we have faced. And the fact of the matter is, is our Christian pastors and our Christian people, leaders, parents, and young adults, are they going to pick up their flag and plant it in the ground and stand against the storm? I'm not asking you to go to war and, and all this. No, nobody. I, no. What I'm saying is, are you going to stand upon the objective morality that Scripture demands? Are you going to play, place your flag in the ground and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that everything he says is absolutely and 100% undeniably true? If you say that, then you have to assert many things. You are asserting that life begins in the womb and that God forms life in that womb and that that child is an image bearer of God. You have to assert that the LGBTQ movement is sinful. Now, I have friends who come from that movement who were a part of that and have now given their lives to Christ and have become you know, confessional Christians and praise God for that. And, and I have people who I know who struggle with that same-sex identification or the same-sex attraction, and they fight that temptation and that urge. And they look back on this movement, and they realize how sinful the pride movement is. You have to assert that marriage is between a man and a woman. You have to assert that marriage is for life. You have to assert all of these things to be a confessionally biblical Christian. Now I'm not, you know, asserting, you know, you you have to be a Democrat or Republican or any of that. I don't care about your political standings. I'm asserting that if you look at the world through a biblical lens and you assert that the Bible is true, then everything that is in it is true. And that is what governs your life. That is what determines how you live and, and, and how you handle your life. And I think that the more we get into the depths and the darkness of the world, the more we see that the Bible is thrown out and is cast aside because it stands as the only movement 
against the world. And what's really even, what's even more crazy is the, you know, the whole war right now with Israel against the Hamas and all of these, and, and, you know, all of these Palestinians here in the United States are, are, you know, up in arms. In fact, they just killed an old elderly guy in LA yesterday. And again, nothing will happen because he was white and, you know, he's the enemy. And so the LA officials won't do anything. Um, but you see these banners floating around social media, queers for Palestine. And then, then you look at these Palestinian, you know, people who live in the Middle East and are interviewed. They're like, no, nah, we'd kill you. We don't, don't, we don't care about you. They don't care about you. If you're a homosexual and you're in support of Palestine, they want to kill you. They actively kill you. And yet here we are in the United States where you're safe from that, celebrating them. Because you're ignorant in what they actually will do to you. This is the morale decay that we are facing. And it just, it is an utter shock. And I can sit here and rant for hours, and I'm not going to. But just know that there's only one way, and that is Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, you must assert that Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's nothing outside of him that matters. Solomon writes it in Ecclesiastes. We've gone through the book on the show way back when. He writes that, you know, all things under the sun without God are worthless. I'm paraphrasing his writing, but that is the, the whole entire premise of Ecclesiastes. Everything outside of God is worthless, pointless, and vanity. It is rubbish. The world will become rubbish. And I was, I just had the conversation, as I mentioned with my wife and talking about social media and the addiction to social media. If you look at your cell phone, pick up your cell phone right now, go to your screen time. What apps are controlling your day? Is it Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, chat apps, whatever it is. It is some level of social media that is controlling your day. I guarantee it. By and large, 99% of the people listening to the show have a an addiction to social media because I mean, I do, I think everybody I know does it's, it's, it's an incredible pull and it may not feel like an addiction because you're only checking it a couple times an hour, maybe, but you sit there and scroll and scroll and scroll because I've done it. And I, and I, I'm pushing myself away from that. I bought a Kindle so I can have just books and I could read books on my digital platform. I have books in my library that I purchase on a regular basis so I can have something physical to read. I am trying my best to move away from this because that is what and the only thing we can do to break these addictions. But we are addicted to cell phones. We are addicted to watching these 30-second reels. We have short attention spans. We can't be in conversations for long because we get bored. We are crumbling and it is happening to Christians as well. And it is frightening. So that's going to be my rant. If I made you mad, good. Maybe it, maybe it stirred up something in you. I don't know, but this is just something that I have to get off my chest and I have to vent it into a manner which I know it will reach the people who it does. I guess if you're listening to the show, you, you probably know you, you, you're probably in the same boat as me. Um, I wouldn't say that you're the one guilty of it, but I'm saying that, you know, the greater masses outside of listening to the show and outside of these podcasts, all the Christian podcasts need to hear this message, but they won't. And that's, that's the sad thing. 
morality will continue to decay in this country and around this world at such a rapid rate. And that is, that is where we are at the end of times is we're just, the Christians are begging Jesus to return and the taunters are, 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 you know, scoffing and making fun of us for waiting for Christ to return. And here we are still waiting. So let's uh, look at the text today. We are going to deal with Matthew chapter 17. Jesus heals a boy with a demon. This is verse 14 through 21. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered him, O faithless and twisted generation, how long will I, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move over here, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So that is the text that we're going to deal with today. Uh, again, just a, another staple to the miraculous and mercy that Jesus Christ has for his people. So uh, we're at the next morning. We're continuing on past the transfiguration, right? So they come to this crowd now, and this father comes out, and he says, have mercy. And this is a close echo to the cry of the Canaanite woman back from chapter 15. And we see that uh, this is probably another instance on the mountain that this took place on, perhaps. Not, you know, descriptively saying that, but it could be. Uh, the failure to heal the boy while Jesus was transfigured could emphasize the contrast between the heavenly glory and the grip the devil still has on earthly affairs, a.k.a. the moral decay of our world. Kind of goes hand in hand with what we just talked about. Faithless and twisted generation, Jesus lumps his disciples with all of those whom he had previously denounced with similar words back in chapter 12, verse 39, verse 45, and chapter 16, verse 4. And then he asks the question how long he would not be with them much longer. This time is coming close. He is going to be uh, moving towards Jerusalem, as we indicated a, a few weeks ago on the show, that his journey now is taking him to Jerusalem. In fact, we'll see again in the next passage his uh, retelling or foretelling of the uh, death and resurrection that he will soon partake in. The disciples' lack of faith prompted Jesus to ask these rhetorical questions, which is mostly to express his disappointment, not only in them, but in this, you know, this group of people as well. Now, we're not told explicitly that the disciples in question here are the apostles. What we do remember is back in chapter uh, six and nine and so on. We have the sending out and the kind of formation of disciples. So it is good for us to know that there are a kind of a greater group of disciples that Jesus has traveling with him. They not always referring to the particular 12. So I just want to make that clear because it's just a standard disciples here that's being used. Now, would could the argument be made for the apostles? Absolutely. And I, 
you know, would see both sides of that to be relative and could possibly be true in this situation. But the text simply just says the disciples uh, were geared to cast out demons, but they cannot overcome this one. Jesus, who had just heard the voice of his father, readily conquered this mute demon. The demon or the devil often breaks men's necks and drives them to insanity, drowns some and moves many to commit suicide and other terrible disasters. In fact, you know, I can't say explicitly, but I know uh, in our community we just lost um, a, a son. He had committed suicide from what I've gathered. I don't know many details. He was the son of a, the Baptist preacher here in town, and it has been a tragic loss for the family and for those who had known this individual. And I, you know, I don't think he was possessed by a demon, but he had and the family is admitted to having mental illness. He had this. And so, um, could he have been taunted or, you know, pushed by a demonic presence? I certainly believe that's the case because they do often, um, drive home that narrative. And it's, it's a tragic situation. And my heart breaks for the family that the son, um, ended up losing his life in his battle against the mental illness. And so I don't, like I said, I don't know any details and I don't want to speculate too much on it, but it is a tragic, tragic situation. Our community is still praying for this family. So if you do, um, just please pray for, for this town and for the, for the Baptist church here, I'm not going to give names, but I want to just simply leave it at that. So please Pray for that family as they are dealing with this. But this is a real thing in the world. Demonic possession is real. Oppression is real. Possession is real. It is not something, especially in the Protestant circles, that we you know, can just shrug off. It is an absolute real force that we deal with. We have to fight against the spiritual realms. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It is against the principalities and all of the things that go on behind the scenes in this world. It is against the evil forces that that are the ones calling the shots. They are the ones that are pushing the the agendas, the woke agendas, the 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 liberal agendas, whatever it is. They are the ones that we sh- you know are in battle against. And so these demons have a stronghold in the world and have possessed many. And I, I would be the first to say, I don't believe the folks in the charismatic movement know how to cast them out and do, you know, uh, any sort of exorcisms. And I've spoken on this a number of times. I think, you know, there's, there's some small segments of Protestantism that is in line with the Catholic church, but the Catholic church probably has the best demonology view in the church and we we often fail in understanding the entire scope of what this can take now the 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 demon cannot actually actively kill a person in the possession but they can drive a person to insanity to where the person does it and this is a tragic situation you know we're reading these notes and the the devil and his legion his demons often do this and they cause many terrible disasters. And quoted here in Mark chapter 9, verses 17 through 22. There is nothing for us to do upon the earth but to pray against the archenemy without stopping, continuously praying against him. For unless God 
preserved us, we would not be safe from this enemy even for an hour. So if God didn't preserve us, if God didn't protect us, we as Christians would fall prey to him. And sometimes with the, the, the pushing of mental illness, this is something that is affecting Christians and believers in Christ too. And I, I would say that we cannot be possessed, but we can be oppressed. We can have the influencing pressed upon us in this world. And that is a scary view to have in the, you know, in the backs of our minds that the demons and the devil are real. And it should be a very real one that we carry with us. This isn't something to really mess around with. But it is something absolutely and utterly real. So the disciples come to him. They had been um, previously unsuccessful, uh, or they'd been previously successful in casting out demons. But in this situation, they are unsuccessful. And so they come to Jesus, and they bring this man, and the man is begging him. He addresses him, Lord, have mercy. So he's, you know, as I mentioned about the Canaanite woman, he's a, you know, this plea of desperation uh, is an echo to her from chapter 15. And uh, Jesus has several times admonished his disciples for their weak faith, as we noted in chapter 8, chapter 14, and chapter 16. He had given them authority to cast out demons back in chapter 10. This was, you know, the greater sending out. So this is why I say it could be these, this group of disciples, not necessarily the apostles. Uh, but their doubts prevented them from healing this boy. But then Jesus goes to say, and he gives us this little beautiful nugget of truth here at the end of it, about the faith, the side of a mustard seed. This is, this is all it takes. But here's the thing. Your faith has to be rooted in the objective truth of Jesus Christ. Your faith has to be rooted in the fact that through Christ, all things are possible. I'm not going to say that you can win basketball games or football games or lift heavy weights or or get that job promotion. I'm saying that all spiritual things are possible. You can preserve yourself to the end, persevere to the end. You can, you know, re, re, remove any sort of oppression from you. You can uh, cast out demons. You have that authority, but you have to have faith in Christ, and it takes deep faith. It's not just, it's not just you know, uh, elementary faith. You know, the faith of a mustard seed is one that is deeply rooted and it starts as this tiny little seed that blossoms into this big tree that overgrows, you know, that is bigger and overgrown, if you would, to the other vegetation, allows for shade, allows for the birds to make nests upon. That is the what a mustard seed does. It is not just always the size of a mustard seed. It starts there. But that mustard seed is something that is concrete that will grow into something substantial. And so I think sometimes we, we want to say, well, we can we, all we need is that type of faith. Well, you need that faith, but that faith has to blossom into something bigger. It has to be rooted. The roots of the mustard tree go deep. Your faith has to be impacting every facet of your life. And this is why I think the Roman Catholic demonologists are... are in fact, better equipped to facing the world's moral decay than most Protestants are because they are trained and taught on this, on the spiritual warfare. And we, we, we like to think as Protestants, we know the Bible, but we miss the application oftentimes when it comes to these types of issues. 
So as I mentioned, that little faith is what is the piece that's the key. But that little faith doesn't remain always little. It grows and develops. It is deeply rooted in who we are and how we view the world. If we go into this world with only seeds in our pocket, for instance, you know that, that seed has no way to, to grow, it has no way to absorb into us. It has no way to grow into something greater. And so if you think about it, <clears throat> if we carry around just a little Bible with us and we never read it, we never open it, we don't go to church, we don't study anything, we, we just carry it with us. That seed, God's word, has no way of growing deep into our heart, it has no way of rooting itself into us. And if we go and try and take on the world, we will be destroyed quickly. And it'll just be like the parables that we talked about, the sower of the seed, where we will be one of those who will be cast into shallow soil and we will root up quickly and we will be scorched by the sun. Whereas in the world is we will be pressed with tribulation and persecution and we will fall away from the faith because our faith is not rooted <laughs> in something deeper. And if we cons- if we take the construct of the mustard seed and apply that to God's word and being scriptural to us, it is that the seed, God's word or faith, has to take deep root in us. It is the thing that governs everything about our lives. Everything we say, everything we see, everything we do. All things, how we raise our families, how we deal with our children, how we deal with our spouse, how we deal with our neighbors, how we interact with our coworkers, every single thing at the very core has to be governed by God's word. And that is the reality that we are quickly diminishing against here in the world is that Christianity is the in in of itself by the world <laughs> the laughing stock because it is the only religion that is you know arbitrarily true it is the only religion that has stood the test of time has stood against all of the prosecution of the, all the persecution all the hate all the malice and continues to be the only standard for objective morality in the world and therefore it is the number one target from satan is to undermine us. And he does so through other religions. He does so through secular means. He does so through all of these other things outside of Christianity. And so we are to be equipped and rooted in God's word and understanding the implications that it has upon our lives. And this is probably the longest show I've done in a while. So I'm pretty happy with that. Hopefully your attention span is trekking right along with me. But I really like this text because it symbolizes two things. One, that these disciples, by greater measure, had not the faith to govern or to, to you know cast out this demon. And I and I think that has to deal with the fact that their faith was not so deeply rooted. Or it might have been rooted deeply, you know, a, a couple weeks or months ago here in the time period, but now that they've been out and doing this work. They kind of have lost faith because it's not being actively watered and renewed. This is why being a part of a church is so important and being a part of a congregation is so important because we have to be deeply rooted in God's word.
So that's going to wrap it for this week, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to the rant slash uh, episode here. Uh, we are getting close to the end of the year. I might do another rantathon for 2023, uh, and that'll drop on New Year's Day if I do. Uh, we've done one for the last few years, and I enjoy doing them. I don't know how long they'll be. It might be a couple hours, depending on if I can get some people to join with me. Um, so we'll see. You know, I we'll we'll, we'll kind of kick the bucket around a little bit and and uh, ponder what happens with that. So. That's that, ladies and gentlemen. It's Friday getting to church on Sunday. I hope you guys have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. God bless.